This episode is made possible by Armoire. I love genius companies founded by women, and Armoire is one of them. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days, and then when you're ready for new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. To me, Armoire Armoire solves so many issues I struggle with today, the biggest one being accumulation of stuff. Let's face it, women want to feel on trend and fresh in their clothes, so we like to shop for new clothes often. But I also get overwhelmed when I have too much to choose from, which happens after years of shopping. I forget what clothes I have and I end up wearing the same thing over and over. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to brave a department store fitting room with those unflattering fluorescent lights again. Trust me, your overly cramped closet and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. All right, on today's episode of the Heal Podcast, I am so excited to welcome Shalina Ayana, rising woman. Um, she is a woman who I admire so much and am just in awe of her wisdom for being so young. If you don't know Shalina, um, let me read a little bit about her. She is the founder of Rising Woman, as I mentioned, which is a growing community of more than 4 million readers. Her training and immersion in couples facilitation, inherited family trauma, family systems, conscious relationship, somatic healing, and plant medicines inform her holistic approach to seeing relationship as a spiritual path. More than 30,000 women in 146 countries have taken her flagship program, Becoming the One. Becoming the One is also the title of her book, which I read in preparation for this interview, Heal your past, transform your relationship patterns, and come home to yourself. And she has a new journal coming out, right? Is it out yet? Or I do. Yeah, no, it's coming out September 19th. Amazing. It's yeah. called Becoming the One, a guided journal to help us actually dive in and not just read about it, but do the work on ourselves. So, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, the timing could not be better for this conversation. Um, I feel like the theme of this year for me has to like in January, I feel like I, I awakened to how much I've abandoned myself over, you know, the past and various relationships and different parts of my life. And, um, just 
I don't know if it was astrology or what, but I was just like, it became so clear to me. And I was like, no more. I need to come back to myself and put myself first. Um, and I will be a better mother because of it. I'll be a better partner. Um, and your book touches on all of that. So it was like a mm -hmm. PhD and in, in coming back to myself and, and waking up. So thank you so much. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and thanks for reading. Not everybody who I do interviews with has read my whole book. So I appreciate that you took the time to do that. And um, that's why I wrote it. You know, I wrote it because I went through that journey myself in my mid twenties and I really saw all of the ways that I had self-abandoned and that so many of us learn to do that in this culture. And we're so busy all of the time that we forget to be with ourselves. And this really is the, the, the ground zero starting with ourselves and then letting that ripple out into the world and into our most intimate relationships. Totally. And I, like I said before, I'm in awe of how much, you know, and your wisdom for being so young. I think you're in your mid thirties, right? Yeah. 30s? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm 35. 35. Okay. So, and, and I think, so if you could just tell the audience a little, like just touch on how you learned so much so fast, um, just based on your background and then what you studied to, you know, come back to yourself and, and do all the, you know, you have this like really, um, beautiful web of, of background and training and knowledge. So just mm -hmm. kind of your, your childhood and how it brought you to discover all these healing modalities and tie them in to your wisdom today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was really little, my mom was struggling a lot with mental illness and, um, with addiction. So I essentially became the mother from the time that I was two onward and uh, we had that dynamic running through our entire history. And uh, I was in and out of foster homes. I, by 12, had been, you know, using drugs. My curfew when I was 12 was 5 a.m. And my allowance was a pack of cigarettes and a two-liter bottle of uh, grower's apple cider. So I really, yeah, I experienced the darkness of aloneness and um, of dysfunction and lineage toxicity very early. And by the time I was 16, I had moved out onto my own. I had left the system because I was what they call ward of the government. And I decided I was done being in that system. And I eventually found myself in an abusive relationship that was really really, really challenging. And when I left that, I began, I would think I was like 21, 22. So very, very young still. And I started having a little mini spiritual awakening, but not to the point where I was able to really see the depths of my own pain or see the depths of my own dysfunction, but really just where I was starting to feel <clears throat> this deep connection to spirit reopening for me. And uh, I began doing a year of celibacy. And then I, I met somebody when I was like, I don't know, 20, 21. <clears throat> and that was very much just a karmic relationship. We ended up getting married. He was from a different country. I was like 24 or something. It was not romantic in nature when we got married. It was just like, okay, we're from different countries and we want to be together. So we'll just do this. 
And that relationship really blew up in my face in every way, deep betrayal. And, uh, you know, the proverbial rug got ripped from underneath me. Everything that had uh, been present in my life disappeared. Even my cat, like everything went away. I uh, gained like 20 or 30 pounds overnight. I became extremely ill. I lost all of my money, which at the time was a significant amount because I was running a successful business. And it was a wake up moment for me then in my mid twenties, where I had this flash of my, my traumas come back to me in a moment where I was feeling really abandoned. And I remembered being dropped off at a foster home. I remembered screaming for my mother and being three and being left. And that was the moment where I realized that all of this dysfunction and chaos that I was experiencing wasn't even about this other person. This was really about me. This was about my own history and my own lack of recognition of my own pain. And so that's when I started diving deep into transpersonal therapy, doing shadow work, uh, mother wound work, father wound work, a lot of plant medicine ceremonies. Like I was, I was just working with plants every weekend, uh, doing a lot of breath work, <clears throat> And then I just kind of went, yeah, I went into the deep end with that for a while and I just focused all of my energy. I developed different practices and tools for myself that I needed that are, you know, now some of them are shared in my book that just came to me. Uh, and then, you know, I apprenticed with a, a transpersonal therapist for many years. And then after that, I began actually studying and, and taking trainings and, you know, doing all of that. But really, truly, I mean, I have gone through many trainings, but it's not that that has given me this connection to myself or to spirit. It's really been, yeah, it's been this gift that I have found in myself, in nature, in those quiet moments, uh, in ceremony, uh, and so much time in the forest with plants and I believe that we all have access to that, that innate wisdom that exists within all of us. Uh, many of us have gifts that are untapped. Many of us have connections to spirit that we have learned to deny or suppress or ignore because it seems crazy to say, yeah, I'm psychic or I'm clairvoyant or I talk to plants or I talk to trees or whatever it is. And the reality is, is that most women that I meet have that innate spiritual power within themselves that they've learned to shun. And, and so I really credit a lot of my growth and my healing and my learning from those deep moments with myself. And uh, I don't think any training can give us that. And I don't think that it makes me special either. Really, we all have this. And so that's a part of my work is just really wanting to reconnect others to that to their gifts, to just remind them, you know, that their art is important, that, that their gifts are alive within them. Oh, that is so, I'm like getting emotional. It's weird as you talk about it because, mm. you know, <clears throat> you talk about how healing is really not fixing something that's broken or getting rid of a pattern that doesn't serve us. It's really about accepting and integrating all of our parts, which is, yeah shadow work or, you know, um, inner child work. And, but as you were just talking about like reconnecting to yourself and, and 
really through nature and and then reconnecting through spirit to spirit as well. That's been like my journey is part of that accepting of myself is realizing that we are little pieces of divinity that have this illusion of separation from spirit. And whether it's plant medicine ceremony or, you know, deep spiritual meditation, you know, intense week of, of meditation and that connection, or like you said, being out in nature, um, I spent so much time in nature as a child and I haven't had that, you know, so, mm-hmm. oh, just like you, it's just so validating that, um, it's such a necessary part of healing is coming back. Mm-hmm. And we do so much of us abandon ourselves because we think we need to do something or be something in order to keep our, you know, to get the affection, love and attention from our caretakers as children. So can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about, you know, uh, I've, I've heard these, I haven't taken the full, you know, PhD in psychology to really understand, but it resonated so deeply, these abandonment wounds, attachment styles and mother father wound. Can you just give us an overview kind of how those drive our behaviors into adulthood if we don't kind of look at Mm -hmm. them and feel them. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have a PhD in psychology either, just so you know. Um, (laughs) I feel like you do. I I went, well, I have a PhD in life experience uh, when it comes to the abandonment wound. And uh, I think, you know, many of us have that wound and we don't realize it or we don't validate it within ourselves. And And for many of us, it can look different, you know, it can look very different depending on who we are, but ultimately the wound is, I want love, I want safety, I want security, I want to be seen, heard, and valued as a human being, and that's not there for me. You know, I'm getting dropped somewhere, or I'll always get dropped, or people always leave, or there's something wrong with me. There's some th- something about me that makes me not lovable. I have to work to be loved. I have to earn my love. And that is something that so many humans on this planet are experiencing and acting out through power games and domination and control and bullying you know, that's where all of that comes from is that pain of not having received enough love or nurturance or care. And, you know, for me, it looked like having uh, a mother who just wasn't able, you know, she was a child herself mentally and, and psychologically, emotionally. And so she wasn't able to be a parent to me, to be a nurturing mothering force. She was more like a, a playmate and, um, that was very unstable. Uh, and then there was a lot of physical abandonment, like getting dropped off in the afternoon to somebody who I didn't know, and then her not coming back for months, you know? Um, and so in me, there was this drive to chase and pursue love from unhealthy places very early on. And, and what that looks like for so many of us is the same as this pursuing of love, this chasing unavailable love, or this program in our nervous systems that says, ooh, this person's unavailable, or this person says they don't want to be with me, that I'm going to, I'm going to get excited by that. And I'm actually going to work harder because I'm going to try to convince them to change because if I can do that, then it means that I'm lovable or that I'm worthy. And this abandonment wound can drive so many of our anxiety patterns, Right. So much of our uh, anxious energy and our mental energy goes into our relationships, 
where they become this giant distraction. And relationships aren't meant to be a distraction. They're meant to actually be a safe container to give us more energy to be of service in the world. That's the highest form. But at the lowest form, it's sucking us down into this distraction vortex where we're just completely obsessed and immersed with the relationship drama that we're in um, because it's all consuming and it's triggering these old wounds. And so, you know, if you had an emotionally unavailable parent, if you had a parent who struggled with addiction, if you later in your teen years or in your early adulthood were with a partner who was really unavailable to you or who betrayed you or who cheated or who ghosted or who passed away, all of these things can actually lead to an abandonment wound as well. And we so often talk about it happening in childhood, but there are many stages in our lives. There's you know a few stages where our, our brains are developing and laying new pathways adolescence is one of them when we're teenagers and then you know another is also you know if you become a parent um and so there are these checkpoints along the way where we can become emotionally injured and we want to tend to those parts with care so that we can enter our relationships from a place of wholeness and that doesn't mean perfection doesn't mean like we're perfectly healed and that we don't have anything to work on but it means that we're coming in from a place of self-love self-respect knowing you know that we deserve to receive healthy love and that we can actually be in a stable secure form of relationship because so often when we are wired for chaos because we have an abandonment wound and we've grown up in dysfunction a normal healthy relationship will feel so foreign that we will think that we're not in love. There's something wrong with this connection. It's just not, the passion isn't there. Um, and so we have to actually relearn what it means to relax into healthy love. Totally. Um, can you like say someone lost a parent um, or their parent passed away young and then maybe yeah. the other parent that remained couldn't it was was young and now had you know a single parent and couldn't deal with their own grief and so they kind of became emotionally unavailable too so now these two kids have grown up with this abandonment wound but how but and neither of them are in relationship or have dated unavailable people like how does one I mean that's like such a deep wound how does one um heal that like mm -hmm. become aware and heal and 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 trust love and trust that mm -hmm. terrible things aren't going to happen to the person that they open their heart to again. Well, look, we all have our own unique life path and that's unfortunately one of the most difficult ones. I have a I have a friend who uh she got pregnant. She had wanted to have a baby forever. She was this incredible birth doula in my uh community. Someone who I really deeply admired. And she had supported thousands of births. And I always, I always admired and looked up to her and I wanted her to be at my birth one day. And I just had this feeling she wasn't going to be there. And a month into her pregnancy, she got diagnosed with breast cancer. And within a year of having her daughter, she passed away. And, you know, this is a woman who was going to make just the most absolutely incredible mother she had waited so long and prepared for this baby and and now her daughter is growing up you know without her mother and uh, she just she just had a birthday and and you know my husband and I we we see her photo or we you know see the aunties with her and we have 
tears in our eyes. And it's so painful to think because that could be any of us. And what I'm saying in this is that we don't actually get to control the outcome. And yes, when we've lost somebody, it's harder. It is. And you might always have a little bit of that fear. You know, what if it happens again? I have that fear sometimes. You know, I'm deeply afraid of losing my family. It's probably one of my greatest sources of anxiety, you know, is is the fear of losing my family. That's the thing that I struggle with. And yet I know that I don't have a con- I don't have a controlling interest in that. I don't have a say. You know, that's up to spirit. And so to love is to surrender. It is to put put our hearts down and take a risk. And it is to say, I'm willing to be heartbroken in order to be in this with you. And you know, we do that so willingly, I think at first unknowingly with our children. You know, we don't realize that we're signing up to have our hearts broken, but we're doing something similar, not quite as deep when we're, you know, with a romantic partner, when we're getting married or entering into a long-term relationship, we're saying, I'm willing to take the risk to have my heart broken in order to experience the depths of this love with you. And love and grief are one and the same, you know, and that's the reality is you might lose them or they might lose you. You know, we don't know how things are going to end, but impermanence is not an invitation to sit on the sidelines and to to give up on life. It's to actually dance in the fire. It's to say yes to life because it is all impermanent and all we have is the present moment. So why not take the risk, you know, have the experience, enjoy being in our human bodies and love. And so I always think to myself, you know, if I get to the end of my life and I've loved fully, then I'll feel successful because the the people that we take with us, you know, the soul memory that we take with us, that's really it. We don't take our money. We don't take our status. We don't take our books that we authored, you know, or anything that we created or produced. We take the soul karma and the soul memory of the relationships we built, I believe, and we travel with soul family and uh and that's it so is there anything more important than community than love than family not in my books and so that's what we're here for you know to just use up these bodies in a beautiful way and eat the food and dance and sing and cry and love and grieve and do it all over again maybe (laughs) i agree i i've recently finished this week-long advanced meditation retreat with Joe Dispenza. And, you know, he just was very clear and it resonated deeply when he talked about it, that spirit is just, and when we go into these meditations, we kind of just like reconnect to that frequency. Um, And spirit is just experiencing itself through, through this physical body of art, you know, so we're these little fractals of, of divinity, but, you know, spirit in that frequency of just pure love can't feel that pain and whatever. So they're, they're, it's experiencing itself through us and our life experiences and this depth of emotion and pressure and and then elation and love and, and all of those feelings. So, um, and do you, I've just noticed in the last handful of years, just more and more people choosing to leave this planet through, Mm. you know, overdose or suicide. And obviously it's heartbreaking, but I, you know, can you 
touch on what your perspective is of that um, and then talk a little bit about like how I just feel like people aren't we, we haven't been taught how to really forgive ourselves for past mistakes whether you know on any kind of scale and and then just are people are just sensitive people just not able to walk through the fire of this time like what is your perspective on that you know i don't i wouldn't say that i have a very firm perspective or view on that um i think it's so multifaceted and I would never say that somebody who chooses to end their lives like didn't have the courage or the strength, you know, to walk through the fire or whatever it is. I don't think any of us really know what calls somebody to take that kind of action. And I I don't think we could understand unless we were there. And I, what I do know, you know, I've experienced many people taking their lives in my in my personal life, in my community and in my family and and there's always a lot of deep suffering and aloneness that, that's being experienced internally, even if around that person, it seems like there is a lot of love and connection. And I think what's more important is for the people around those other people to not blame themselves. So I think what we're left with is a lot of blame, self-blame, regret, wishing that we had done things differently, wondering if we could have changed things. And... I don't really know that that's possible, you know, and to an extent, I believe that in many ways, our, our death is sort of prescripted. Like if we're meant to leave this planet, we're going to, and it just depends how. Um, obviously, this is a really loaded topic and not everybody's going to resonate with this. And you don't, you don't need to believe this the way that I do in order to, um, you know, to have your own spiritual beliefs, you have to really parse through what feels right for you. But I've often felt like there's something greater that's deciding, you know, this is the path that we're on. And um, I try to keep that with me when I'm afraid of something happening, you know, to myself or to my family, like, okay, well, if it's really meant to happen, there's nothing that I can do, but surrender to that. Uh, that said, when it comes to things like, you know, overdose and suicide, I mean, these are such intense experiences. Um, and now in, in our current climate, you know, we've got a lot of overdose happening, but even in my little community where, you know, people are lacing drugs and things like that with fentanyl and stuff. So to me, that's just, that's a whole other thing. That's like cruelty. That's that's evil. Um, and that's really painful to see, you know, that people are out there doing that. Um, and I can't even begin to dissect what is going on in somebody's mind or being when they choose to do that. Um, and so the only thing that helps me when it comes to death is just seeing it as something that is out of my control and remembering that ultimately when we leave this planet, it seems like a pretty blissful experience. Like I've watched a lot of uh, near-death experience type documentaries or talked to people, you know, who have gone through those experiences and the same thread throughout is that they felt immediate peace and happiness and love. And that brings me great comfort to know, okay, well, if this person was in deep pain, they're no longer in pain. 
and that's all we can want for our loved ones. And, and I think we are the ones who are struggling the most after we're the ones who are, we're left to pick up the pieces. We're the ones who need the most support. And so it can bring comfort knowing that they're okay. That was beautiful. Thank you. I know that wasn't an easy topic, but I agree with you. The encounters with people who have had near death experiences have just kind of, you know, for whatever reason resonated that leaving this physical body it's just a, an energy transmutation and um the soul continues on we continue to travel with our soul family we're always connected whether you're a guide or an angel or whatever you know your set of language is an understanding but just that you experience this expansive bliss and you know ecstatic love so it is you know harder for us to to stay behind and still be in these physical bodies dealing with all so of hard. Yeah. I can't imagine. Um, so there's so many things I want to talk about, but, um, I guess, yeah, you, you're, you have such a deep connection with nature and you talk about the elements as like, this is just one thing that I think is so fascinating because, you know, I feel like half of our, you know, our dis-ease, whether it's physical or mental, um, is because we've become so disconnected from nature and we're so part of nature and are intertwined. And, you know, the air that we breathe that gives us life is the air that the trees exhale, you know, and it's just such this beautiful dance. And, and so you talk about one of your tools, I guess, is using the elements of nature to come back into balance. So can you touch mm-hmm. on that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually something that my journal reflects as well is a lot of different rituals and just simple practices to be in nature to connect back to elements and to to allow the healing powers of the earth and the waters to bring you into a state of secure regulated ease um like i said before so much of my own healing so much of the wisdom that i share I've received from being in nature you know since having my daughter I would walk for hours when she was you know under under six months old she would sleep on me for every single nap and so I would go walking in the woods behind my home for two to four hours a day with her strapped to me and I would receive beautiful medicine songs and poems and just just gorgeous gifts from nature and I really feel that we are so distracted by all of the stuff and all of the status and we've forgotten the most simple things which are community being in nature and reconnecting and it's so much in relationship to our our mother wound and our relationship to to woman in general the feminine in general because you know i feel so much of nature is is this feminine birthing energy right? It's constantly changing. It's unpredictable. It's full of fertility and life. Um, It's powerful. It's destructive. It's beautiful. And we are all of those things too. And so how we respect nature is how we respect ourselves. Um, And I also see, you know, how our emotional capacity is reflected too in those elements. So in my book, I talk about uh, water and fire being some of the primary elements are around anger and sadness. Yeah. 
So fire, anger, water, sadness. And generally speaking, we tend to be more comfortable in one of those energies. So we either have, especially with, with women, I notice there's water beings and there's fire beings. And the fire beings are much more comfortable expressing their anger. That will be the first emotion that comes when they when something goes wrong. And underneath that, of course, is the water, it's the sadness, it's the grief, it's the tenderness, but that's much more difficult to access or they access it in private. They don't let others see it. And then the water beings are the opposite, of course. And so the water beings are much more quick to sadness and tears and underneath it, they might have a bubbling anger that they don't let anybody else see and that they don't know how to express. They might even have this deep belief that anger is bad. And when taken to the extremes, the water beings generally have depression because their anger has been so deeply suppressed that they they have no contact with it anymore. They've only got contact with their grief and their sadness. Um, and that makes sense in our culture, right? Because we've been told anger is gross, it's a turnoff, it makes us aggressive and unattractive. Um, so sadness is much more palatable, uh, but we need to have both of those energies in order to be healthy and fully expressed. So it's not turning inward and becoming corrosive. Uh, and so in my book and in my journal, I have these processes for creating elemental altars where we're taking different items that represent our fire and that represent our water and even that represent, you know, our creativity and our air and our, and then the earth, it's our confidence and our self-worth um, so that we can have this visual and elemental reminder that it's okay to express the full spectrum of our emotions. Um, I often suggest, you know, take a little photo of yourself as a child, put that on the altar altar? What's something that represents play for you? You know, put that on the altar, bring in this healing energy, this reminder that who you are is beautiful, that your innocence is still there um, so that you can access all of that. And ultimately where we want to get to in all of this healing work and all of this processing is not that we continue to dive deeper and deeper and process and process for the rest of our lives. Ideally, it's so that we can just experience joy and play and be silly and goofy and enjoy life and and be together, you know, without always having to be processing something. Yeah. And so I like to bring that reminder too is, you know, one of the most undervalued aspects of healing work is play. And so wherever we can bring that back, that's the thing to to zero in on I think for many of us who are in this work so great yeah I mean I'm I'm an Aries so I'm a fire sign but then my other my mm -hmm. rising and my moon are both water cancer um mm -hmm. rising and oh. Pisces moon so nice. but and it's so interesting because I grew up with a father who was very explosive and and frustrated and just like expressed what I judged as too much anger and he's like, well, I got it out of my body. So that's why I'm so healthy. And I'm like, but we lived in a pressure cooker and it's tense all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I judged and I, I didn't want to be like him and I didn't want to express anger. So I stuffed a lot of my anger down. Um, and then whenever I do like inner child healing work, or when I look back at that child, like I have a lot of grief and sadness around my experience. Like, so it's just so interesting now because I'm trying, I'm seeing with my daughter who's four, this pattern that I've become aware of that I want to break, but it's so in my system, which I want to talk to, you know, go to somatic healing next and nervous system healing. 
um, I just feel like I have this like frustration, anger imprint in my body because of this environment I grew up in. And <laughs> I'm like determined and aware enough, like I don't want to pass this down to my kid, but for the past four years and because of the dynamics of my relationship and differences in parenting and just the nature of life, like the frustration is bubbling over and I'm like, ah, mm. so I think I need to delve into some somatic healing and nervous system healing. Mm. So if you could talk about that a little bit, because we all do. Aware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all need it and we all need it on an ongoing basis, right? Nobody, nobody is perfect and nobody, especially who is a parent is regulated all of the time. I mean, I'm only in my first year here. I'm about to hit the one year mark and it is so challenging. There is constant, constant invitations to practice nervous system regulation. There is constant holding space. There is constant chaos that you have to be calm through. And we're not going to do that perfectly every time. And then if you add in the fact that you don't really have much time for your romantic relationship, um, your own family systems and patterns are coming up, uh, your anxiety or your fears are coming up, and one partner is always a little bit more afraid of certain risks and the other person is always a little bit more risky. You know, there's all of these differences that are coming up and it's like, wow, this is just a ripe container for being triggered all of the time, <laughs> you know? And so what we're talking about when we say nervous system regulation is this, this idea and, and this core philosophy of, you know, this body of work around nervous system resetting where our nervous systems are wiring in that first three years, right? Our brains and our nervous systems are setting a foundation for how to respond to fear, how to respond to pain, how to respond to love, how to respond to gestures um, that are in our environment how to respond to all things. And so that map is actually being laid down in those crucial first three years of infancy. Infancy isn't just like zero to one, it's three years long. And so whatever we learned in that first three years becomes our blueprint, right? Um, And if, if this is scaring you because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like four and like, I, trust me, I've had those moments too where I'm like, oh my God, like I didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. Ben and I were really edgy with each other in this first year. Like we weren't the best. Um, we weren't our best, you know, in our relationship. In fact, it's actually been our hardest <laughs> um, and that's normal. So it's like, well, how do you do this then? Because these these are the most important years. But what's important to remember is you're going to have other milestones, um, which is adolescence and then of course becoming a parent. And um just a reference, this is a Greer Kirschenbaum's work. She uh, wrote a book called The Nurture Revolution, and she's a neuroscientist. She talks a lot about these different stages of development. Um, but ultimately what I'm saying is, is that these are the blueprints that we we run with. And if we are in that blueprint and our nervous system is in an attachment pattern that is anxious or that is avoidant or that's disorganized because we're used to chaos – then that's how we're going to operate. And so what we want to learn how to do is to respond from a different place, but we can't do that if our nervous system is running on this railroad track that we can't get off of. And so there are practices and tools that are really just about coming back to ourselves and being in our bodies 
being aware of our own sensations, our own emotions, being able to be in my body while also being in a present state with you. Can I be in my own emotional experience while witnessing and holding space for yours without being pulled into yours? That requires self-awareness, self-regulation. And so my, um, I have a nervous system program on anxiety for relationship anxiety, and we spend a lot of time doing that. I've brought in other doctors in nervous system work as well to support that. And it's about helping our systems relearn a map for secure attachment. But the thing is, is that I think, you know, those of us who are in this work, we are sometimes a little too hardcore about it. And what I mean by that is, you know, the fact that you're worrying about your daughter all of the time, having secure attachment probably means that she has secure attachment, right? Because it's, it's people who aren't thinking about this at all that are, you know, usually ending up in a, in a space where there's real repair to do, um, the fact that you're thinking about that already says like you're putting the energy in, you know, and it doesn't require perfection because perfection isn't possible. We can't possibly be attuned to our kids. We can't possibly be attuned to our partners 100% of the time. That's inhuman. It's just not a thing. And so it was relieving for me to hear that actually you don't need 100% success in terms of attunement and responding to your partner's cues or to your child's cues in order for a secure attachment to be built. You just need more positive than negative interactions. You need repair. And so one of the things that we can all find comfort in is that we're going to do it wrong with each other and with our families. And the most important tool we could ever have is to learn how to repair which is to take responsibility, to remodel, to say, hey, you know what? I didn't say that right, or that came out wrong, or I'm sorry that I yelled, or I'm sorry that I scared you. You know, this is what I was feeling. Next time I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to take a moment for myself. And can we try again? You know, I'm sorry. I love you. You're safe with me. And, you know, we could say that to our kid and we could say that to our husband, or we can say it to our wife. You know, it's, Repair is what we need to learn the most as human beings for secure relationships, um, not perfection. Thank you. Thank you. And thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and I, I, what I've noticed is even this morning, like my body, when I'm not resourced, when I'm not, when I'm abandoning myself, when I'm not um, giving to myself as I'm giving to others or whatever it is, or I'm overdoing it. Uh, like for instance, my, my neck hurts and it's been out for a couple of days and I've had like a headache and I don't normally take anything, but I've been taking Advil for two days. So when I'm not feeling good and I'm not resourced, that's when my frustration comes out and, you know, then I'll repair. Um, but it's now that pattern goes, okay, when I'm being more frustrated or not, so, you know, holding space for her, if I'm not able to like stay calm while she's having a meltdown, other days when I'm rested, it's like, I just hold space, let her do her thing and and do my best. But um, it's now just mirroring back to me. Okay. Where am I abandoning myself? What am mm-hmm. I not like? And if it's in my jaw and my neck, like, what am I holding back? What am I not expressing? Um, you know, so it's just, I think, and so she's almost like this beautiful teacher where she's holding me accountable for being authentic and like honest with myself. And I can't, I can't run anymore because my behavior now affects her. Like I I could abandon myself and be stressed and frustrated and 
not feeling well and in pain, you know, before I had her, but now letting myself get to that point or ignoring my needs or not expressing my truth gets to a point where I'm not being the best mother I can for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing more motivating than having a child <laughs> to, you know, in, in, have you look at all of your undealt with stuff, right? <laughs> and and to want to do better I I found that too you know I want to be healthier I want to be just I just want to take better care of myself you know because I want her to take care of herself and um yeah that's all that we can do and and model in those moments and also yeah and there's going to be so many times where you have a feeling or you have a need and you have to wait because your daughter needs something right and that's the nature of parenthood and that can be one of the hardest things is we have our own needs and our own emotions that need to be expressed and it's not the right time or container. And people say, well, it's good for you to model your emotions. And yes, but like there's also a time and a place. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just break down screaming and crying while your kid is having a tantrum. You need to like be there to help them regulate. And of course, sometimes you probably are going to break down crying while they're having a tantrum because you're just having one of those days. But, you know, ultimately if we really want to go into our own process, we generally don't do that while we're in the flow of parenting. And so it is a practice to remember ourselves and to come back to our own needs in, in, in those early years. And especially, you know, the first five years, I think, or from what I hear from most parents are they're the most intense years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're kind of right in the tail end of the first five years of intensity um, and then you go on a whole different adventure. <laughs> I'm getting glimpses into teenagehood and adolescence, which is another set of challenges. Um, yeah. So you, you and Ben, I would say, have a very conscious relationship. And he's, um, you know, you talk about in your book how early on you kind of just dove into the work together. You were doing similar work and on yourselves. And... Mm-hmm but you're still, you know, you still have relationship as a container that's going to mirror back to you and trigger you. Right. So like, what do you say to the people who are navigating kind of a, you know, there's, there can be all sorts of healthy relationships and you don't have to always think exactly. I mean, I, I don't think, um, my husband and I are talking through this right now. He's not, we just, we have the same values in a lot of ways, but he's not a seeker in the same sense that I am. And, you know, we can't have like deep spiritual conversations like you and I can. Um, but he's like supportive and like open to me exploring, you know? Um, but like, I guess the question is how do you navigate, um, if someone's not doing the exact work that you're doing or doesn't speak the same language or can't like talk through things with you. How do you navigate that? Does someone, and how do you know when a relationship is, um, I just know a lot of people going through different iterations of this, that they're just not on the same page or they've been with their husband since very early on and young, and they feel like they just haven't grown together. And so it ends up in divorce. Like, how do you navigate not being so aligned with your partner? Yeah. Well, look, we're all going to grow in our own directions always. And the idea that our partner needs to be just like us is one of safety and survival, but not of truth. 
And so that doesn't mean that it's not valid for you to want to share these things with a partner. I certainly want to. And my partner is also not able to go to certain places with me, you know, like the the depths that I'm going to uh, are different than the, the places that he's going. <laughs> um, when I'm walking in nature, I'm going slow. I'm not looking at a map. I have no agenda. I'm just in remembrance and in relationship with spirit. And when I bring him for a walk, he right away is looking at a map. He wants to know how long we're going to be out there for. He's got somewhere to be. He's got something to do. You know, he's like whacking trees with sticks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, it's different. And do I have moments where I'm like, oh, I wish you were different. You know, I wish you were more like me. Yeah, I do. I have those moments. And I also know that's sort of one of the pitfalls that we all get into of relationship is wanting our partner to be just like us. And there's a difference between extreme misalignment where it's just unhealthy, you know, where like you can't work through conflict. You don't have any respect. You know, you don't have mutual reverence for the container of the relationship. There's no repair. So there's just this resentment versus we're just different people. We're holding different poles of the human experience, you know, and can that be okay? And, you know, you said, well, I can't have conversations with my husband like I can have with you. And I would say that's probably true for almost all of us. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I see, you know, when I'm with women, I'm really getting that nourishment and, you know, he runs men's groups and he's getting a different kind of nourishment because he also can't have the conversations that he can have with other men with me. And I'll bet you there's lots of things that if your husband wanted to talk to you about, you would find extremely boring or or uninteresting and maybe you wouldn't really be able to go there with him in the same with the same passion right and so sometimes it can just help to remember our partners don't have to fill all of our needs right and is there still love there like can we love them for who they are and where they're at can we see their inner child and their innocence what do we have where can we experience connection and joy and sometimes we lose that along the way and we have to refind it you know we have to go out and get it again we have to reconnect and we have these periods of long disconnection and there's these death cycles that we go through in relationship too where something needs to die and it doesn't necessarily mean we have to break up or get divorced but the relationship as we know it has to die in order for us to birth something new and we can go through a thousand deaths in a relationship over you know 30 40 50 years And when I talk to couples who have been together that long, that's true. So I also have this invitation to look at what is the willingness for both of you? You know, are you both willing? And where could we meet each other again? And it doesn't hurt to be interested in what your partner is interested in and to be curious. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to jump in full full with them, you know, and, and take on all the same spiritual practices. And, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go out and do all the hobbies he likes doing. You know, my husband loves going out in the back and chopping wood and, and lifting heavy things and building things. And, um, that doesn't sound fun to me at all. I don't want to do that. Um, and he doesn't want (laughs) to go walking in the woods and sing for hours and that's okay. (laughs) Um, so yeah, there's, there is just uh, a bit of surrender again that comes in these relationships where we realize, you know, 
it's okay to be different. And it can also be a beautiful opportunity for us to create the perfect team. Like how are we different in the perfect ways instead of always thinking about how are we different in the ways that make us feel like we're not understood. Mm -hmm. um, can we dance a little bit in that mystery? Understood, feeling understood, feeling seen is so important. We just, my husband and I went through this kind of re not a you know just a, a re-understanding of where someone outside of us helped him to see that I'm just not built the same way as he is built mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. I can actually I actually have like so many interests and I have to be doing multiple things and he's extremely successful at focusing on one thing and he's created you know a ton of success around it and he's guided you know a couple of his children to do the same thing and I just I felt very kind of trapped in that um, expectation. So I was feeling, I was feeling like I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it, but ultimately I wasn't being seen for who I was. And I was trying to fit into that box. And if I didn't, or if I, you know, followed what I wanted to do, I felt like I was being judged as selfish or disorganized or whatever it was. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And, um, it was such a, just such a simple shift that now he has seen me in a different way and is accepting of me. And I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I can breathe, you know, but mm -hmm. I wasn't even aware that he wasn't seeing or understanding me, you know, I'm curious how they guided him through that. Did you do like a human design reading or <laughs> what did you do? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I've done human design, which helped me see more about myself. And, um, so are you a manifesting generator? I'm a projector. Are you a projector? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And um, he, I would think he was a manifesting generator, but he, we don't know his birth time. So it's hard, yeah, but I okay. think we ran a lot of morning times because he was the first born back in Nazareth and like, you know, a long time ago. So not in a hospital, mm -hmm. there's no birth certificate and his mom's 93. So she's like, it was early in the morning. So I ran from like yeah. 3am to 7am. And I think they're all projectors, if that makes sense. Nice. Um, but I would think that so we were two projectors in a relationship. My husband and I are both projectors in a relationship as well. Comes oh, with its challenges. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. We can talk more. I need to take your course because I do want to dive into this, but yes, just, I, I don't know. He didn't really specifically say, but I think it was just a friend of ours. That's very intuitive and um, kind of got him to see that, like, you know, I, I could be successful doing multiple things, you know? And I need support. Well, you are successful. You are successful doing multiple things. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, where he's like, but you could be so successful if you just focused on one. And I just felt like, mm -hmm. so it's just, yeah. it's just so cool to be, I, I just, I can't, you know, you, you talk about um, at the root of nearly every human being's quest for a relationship is a deep desire to feel wanted, seen, heard, and understood. And that is the basis, you know, and yeah. um and so for anybody not feeling that way in their life, I just highly encourage you to pick up becoming the one because, and the journal, I, I need to dive into actual doing the work and, and the self-reflection rather than just intellectualizing it um, because it really does cover everything. There's no stone unturned and it's just, there's so many ahas and beautiful kind of um wisdom to apply to your life and whether you're in relationship or struggling to stay in relationship or find the right relationship. It's really um, a roadmap to kind of 
seeing and understanding yourself and really fully embracing and accepting yourself so that you can show up as authentically you in a relationship rather than looking outside of yourself to fill the holes and heal the wounds of your past, I guess. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where can people find more about you and like the courses you offer and stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my most recent program and offering is called Freedom from Relationship Anxiety. And uh, you can find that on my website, shalinaayana.com and risingwoman.com. Risingwoman.com slash programs is where you'll find all of that. Um, and I'm on Instagram at shalinaayana and uh, risingwoman. Um, yeah, I post a lot of my personal stuff that I have going on on my my personal Instagram as well as my writing. So if you are interested in uh, cooking and herbalism and forest walks, you can follow me there. And if you just want, you know, relationship content, go over to Rising Woman. And um, there's also some free gifts as well uh, on on my website. And then my books are available on Amazon and on in every bookstore. Um, they're being translated into many languages. So in many countries around the world, you'll be able to find those in your bookstore or you can just request it and help they'll bring it in. And I really appreciate you having me on your show and taking the time to share some of your own journey and uh, get intimate with me. So um, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. It's really been an honor to have you on. I've been following Mm -hmm. you for a while and it's just so inspiring. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your work and, um, and good luck with, with, parenting and everything else I can't wait for you to write your parenting book (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll we'll be a ways off from that (laughs) in the future yeah no pressure no pressure Uh, all right have a wonderful day thank you so much Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in for more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. And if you feel inspired, we would love you to rate and review us so that we have the opportunity to reach more people. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Thank you so much and be well. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.